You're listening to a Sovereign Hope Church podcast with pastor and teaching elder Adam Vinson. Glad to have you with us today. Uh, I know we've got some that are visiting with us, and so especially glad to have you with us. This is a different uh, service than a normal week for us because it's called Application Sunday at our church. And so just to give you a quick overview of what that means, every six Sundays, we uh, have this type of setup where we get started formally a little bit later. We have extended fellowship before we start with breakfast provided. It's a chance for us to talk and interact with each other. Uh, Oftentimes, we're super busy on Sundays even, and so we get here when service is starting. We leave as soon as the service is over, and we don't always get a chance to talk to all of our church family. So it gives us that extended time to talk and and to share and to fellowship, Uh, but then it also gives us a time to just reflect back on what the Lord's been teaching us, to review the past several weeks, to, to rehash some of those truths, and then to talk with, with clear direction about what we're supposed to do with that. What are we supposed to do after hearing God's Word? How do we do God's Word together? And then we'll partake of the Lord's Supper at the end, which is what we do every six Sundays as well as part of that application piece, because it is a time for us to just redirect our hearts and minds back to Jesus and what He's done for us, to remind ourselves of His work Uh, his life, his death, and his resurrection. And so we'll do that at the end today as well. Um, But let's get started by praying together. Lord, we love you. We praise you and we thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for uh, bringing us here together today. We thank you for this local church where we can gather and worship in your name. Uh, Lord, we thank you that Jesus came uh, to make this type of worship possible, a, a worship service where animal sacrifices are not needed, uh, a worship service where a uh, a human mediator um, is not needed anymore because your son, who is the God-man, uh, is now our mediator. And uh, Lord, we just praise you and thank you for the ways that we're learning about how the New Testament is different from the Old Testament. Uh, Lord, I pray that you'd give us wisdom and insight in knowing how to apply some of those truths better today as we move forward uh, further and deeper into the book of Exodus. And uh, we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I do want to spend a little bit of uh, time at the end uh, giving you a chance to interact a little bit more with what we've been talking about. So back before COVID, Application Sundays were far more interactive. We would break up into small groups and have discussions about the sermon and about application. Coming out of COVID and as we've continued to grow as a church, that just hasn't remained as possible it was in the past. But I do want to give you a chance to to kind of think and process through and even share some of the ways that God's working in your life in response to the past several weeks. So just be thinking as we're kind of working through uh, our content today, what are some takeaways that you're going you're gonna to have from the past five weeks? Maybe looking back as, as we go through these sermons, things will be triggered in your mind. Here's some things that stood out to you from the sermons. I'd love to give you a chance to share uh, some of that. And then at the end as well, if we've got time, I want to give you a chance to just ask maybe any questions that you still have about the, the text that we've been looking at over the past five weeks. So you can put me on the spot. I'll do my best to answer impromptu any questions that you might have. Uh, but I do want to give you a chance to, to interact in that way too. So we'll do that uh, towards the end. Before we do that, I wanted to share with you a, a personal blessing that I've experienced over the past week, um, just in the ways that God shows his faithfulness. Um, I had a former student reach out to me this week, and I've shared with you previously about uh, some of the students and experiences that I have with them. And uh, I had a previous student reach out to me this week who um, is no longer at Trinity, um, but basically reached out to tell me that uh, 
the experience that I had in middle school with him is no longer the experience that he's living out, meaning that we had a lot of challenges with him in the middle school, and uh, one of the things that we did his eighth grade year is we wrote, our staff wrote personal letters uh, to those eighth graders, and uh, I particularly chose this student to write a letter to because I wanted God to soften my heart to him because um, he had been in my office more frequently than I, than I had hoped, and uh, so I wrote just some intentional thoughts to him about how I felt like God had gifted him, how I felt like some of that had been abused, and how now was an opportunity for him to get things right and to start using those gifts and talents and abilities for God's glory. And that didn't translate immediately, um, but it was really neat. He emailed me this week and said that uh, he still has that letter, and he has read it uh, multiple times over the past several years, and that he's gotten his life right with the Lord and um, a lot of things have changed in his life. And so it was just, it was really encouraging to me because sometimes I think we, 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 we say that God's word doesn't return void. We, we think that, you know, God's word is, is life-changing in the hearts and minds of others. And when we don't see it immediately, maybe sometimes we're, we're drawn to question that. And so um, it was just neat for me to see just a strong reminder, particularly as we're kind of going through 1 Corinthians 1 in our C groups and D groups, right? That first chapter talks about um, who are you of? Are you of Cephas or Apollos or, or uh, Paul? Like who's, who's instrumental in your life? And Paul's just talking about like the idea that, hey, we, we grow together and we plant together and we sow and, and the reaping comes and we give God the glory for it. And so uh, thankful to be able to see the work and um, activity that God has in the hearts of people that we, we work to sow into, even if that fruit comes uh, later in life. Uh, several of you guys have asked about where we're at as a family with our um, house hunting. Uh, we still don't have a house, um, but I would ask you to keep praying for that. We can stay in our current house until, I think, the end of November if we choose to. Um, so just be praying about that. I know we've tried to share with you guys um, how many bedrooms we need, right, as our family uh, has grown over the years, and uh, our family continues to grow because um, we're going to be adding a fifth child here um, in the next year. Um, so I've told some of you, like, hey, we probably need five bedrooms. And people have been like, well, you might need to just get over that and get four bedrooms. We need five bedrooms, okay? So, um, yeah, we're hoping to uh, add a baby Vincent in April, so we're really excited about that. And I wanted to share that with you all so you can be praying for us in that manner as well. If you've got your Bibles, open them up to... Exodus chapter 19. Exodus chapter 19. We're going to hit real quick the last five sermons and just kind of walk through what the Lord's been teaching us. And then, like I said, I want to give you some time at the end to reflect back on some ways that the Lord is teaching you in the midst of that as well. Exodus chapter 19, uh, verse 7, is where we were several weeks ago. So I'm going to throw up our um, summary sentence from, from that week. Uh, titled, Drawing Near to a Holy God. When comparing the Old Testament to the New Testament, the holiness of God has not changed, but the way we interact with the Holy God has because of the satisfying, justifying work of Jesus Christ. Exodus chapter 19, verse 7 says, So Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. All the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do. And Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with you and may also believe you forever. 
You'll remember that as we read through the rest of chapter 19, and we won't take the time to do it today, but encourage you to go back and read through that long text that we had five weeks ago, because it's in that section where uh, this holy God greets and interacts with the people of Israel in such a way where it leaves a lasting impression. I mean, he descends upon this mountain, and you'll remember uh, there's, there's signs of storms, and you know, there's thunders, and lightnings, and rumblings, and there's all this preparation that has to take place before they can even come and experience that worship time with him, right? They have to consecrate themselves. The, the husbands and wives are supposed to stay, stay away from each other physically for a time period. As part of that purification, clothes are to be washed. Like All this stuff that takes place is meant to point towards this idea of separation, that they are about to interact with a holy God who is so vastly different than them, right? And so uh, a lot of people criticize the Old Testament today saying that uh, the Old Testament God is so different than the New Testament God. And you've, you've probably heard that criticism that uh, the God of the Old Testament is, is this way, but the God of the New Testament is far more this way. And typically it's depicted as uh, the Old Testament God is angry and wrathful and super serious about sin, but then the New Testament God's maybe a little bit more lenient, a little bit more loving, a little bit more forgiving. And that's just not the case. God hasn't changed. His holiness hasn't changed. His call for separation hasn't changed. Uh, Man's sinfulness hasn't changed either, right? Like like man is still considered sinful. We haven't evolved into a, a better, more holy status in the New Testament. We're still sinful, and, and we still cannot stand before a holy God in that sinful condition. The thing that has changed that we saw clearly five weeks ago is the mediator and the sacrifice that that mediator brings, right? As this holy God and sinful Israel are coming together, despite all of Israel's best efforts to clean themselves up, to wash the clothes, to, to do everything they can to present themselves in holiness, Moses still has to stand between them. Remember, there was, there was markers placed in front of the, the mountain that says you can go no further. It, it, it pictures what's coming with the tabernacle and the temple where that curtain will veil the holy of holies. You can come no further. Only one mediator can enter that presence with God. He must bring a sacrifice, and it's an insufficient sacrifice. Because he has to keep bringing it year after year after year. So Moses does this for Israel. The, the, priestly, uh, the priestly line hasn't been established yet. And so Moses is functioning in this way. He comes before God in Israel, offers a sacrifice to consecrate the people. And so we see this scene and we say, why is this Sunday morning not like that? Right? Like we're eating donuts and sausage biscuits and drinking chocolate milk. Like that's so far different from what their experience was like, right? What, what's changed? What's different? Why are there no animals to be sacrificed here? The thing that's changed from Old Testament to New Testament is the revelation of Jesus. It's the, the work of Jesus Christ. He came to be the perfect human being. He came to die the sacrificial death. He rose to life three days later. He is now our mediator, and he's a permanent mediator, and his sacrifice is permanently good, which means we don't have to do it anymore. So super important for us to see when we look back into Exodus 19, we don't read it and say, man, I'm so glad God's different. I'm so glad we don't worship that God. We do worship this God. The thing that is different, why it has changed is not because God's different, not because we're different. 
It's because Jesus is now fully on the scene in a revealed format. He's always been, right? Like Jesus doesn't come into existence when he comes to this earth in the New Testament. He's always been, but the revelation of who he is becomes far more clear in the New Testament. And it's his work that makes it possible for us to approach God where we don't have to be veiled from him, right? So our application from five weeks ago, be careful in approaching God, but be sure to do so by relying on a mediator to get you there, right? God is still holy and we have to be careful in our approach to him. We can't just flippantly come to God and say, hey, I know you're gonna take me and all of my sins with me without some type of repentance and faith, right? Like we have to put our faith and trust in Christ. We, we show that that faith and trust is genuine by following Jesus in obedience. We jumped into Exodus chapter 20 and began to introduce the Ten Commandments and the laws of God. It says in verse 1 of chapter 20, And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. This is a preface to the Ten Commandments and what he's about to bring. The idea that we see in these two verses is that God spoke, right? And he speaks from a... um, a presence of providing for the people. He is the God who has already saved them. He's the God who already saved him. When comparing the Old Testament to the New Testament, the moral character of God has not changed, but the ways we carry out obedience to his moral law has because of the righteous fulfillment of the law by Jesus Christ, right? So we're introducing the law, the Ten Commandments, and the question arises, do we have to obey the Ten Commandments? Are we supposed to still do that in the New Testament. And we've been talking over the past several weeks about how all of the primary moral laws of the, of the Old Testament are reiterated and repackaged in the New Testament with most of them carrying a greater weight as to what it looks like to fulfill them, right? So the Old Testament understanding of thou shalt not murder is just don't take somebody's life. The New Testament understanding is we can't even hate people, right? Old Testament understanding is you can't physically cheat on your wife, New Testament understanding is we shouldn't even be looking at other people lustfully, right? So there's a, a greater, weightier understanding of the law. And a lot of people try to downplay and say, we, we don't have as many expectations for holy living in the New Testament. You could argue that we actually have greater. Now, Jesus's point is this has always been his, his expectation and understanding of holiness. Mankind had diluted it and tried to make it manageable he comes on the scene. And as you read through the New Testament, you continue to see references back to the Ten Commandments and how we're supposed to live in obedience to Jesus. Now, the law was given not so that we could be saved by it, right? The law was given to help restrain our sinfulness, to keep us in check. It's why uh, even lost people follow many of the Ten Commandments, at least some of the time, right? It, It helps restrain our depravity, Um, it it reveals our need for a savior. As we saw last week, if you come to the 10 commandments and feel good about yourself after reading through them, then you haven't read them in the ways they were intended. The 10 commandments are meant to show us how wicked and sinful and evil and in need of a savior we are, but they do also provide the absolute moral truth for how we're supposed to live. It won't save us because we can't live this way fully, but it does give us the guidelines and direction for how God expects us to interact and to operate. What does it mean? Like we don't get to determine truth ourselves. There is absolute moral truth and he's revealed it to us in his word. And so we we talked about how we have to examine our own hearts. Do we want to be set free from the responsibility to obey God? Do we want to, to experience lawlessness where we just get to do whatever we want? Or do we have a legalistic mindset 
which I think a lot of us fight against. The legalist piece says, I have to obey God, so how can I make it manageable so that at the end of the day, I feel good about it, right? Like, how do I, how do I dumb down God's laws so that I can compare my day to the law and say I did pretty good? That's legalism. Love is what we're really shooting for. That's where we understand that God's commands are good. They're not burdensome. They're an expression of how to love and trust him. Three weeks ago, uh, John Wallace spoke to us from Matthew chapter 6. I was out, and uh, he took Matthew chapter 6 and tied it back into what we've been learning from the book of Exodus, the idea being that the Lord has faithfully provided for the people of Israel, the birds of the air, and the lilies of the field. Therefore, we should have no reason to be anxious because he will continue to faithfully provide for his beloved children today. Remember, leading up to, and we haven't even gotten to the Ten Commandments yet, leading up to the Ten Commandments, God is continuing to remind them, look at everything I've already done for you already. Look at the ways that I've been providing for you. Look at the ways I rescued you from Egypt. Look at the ways that I carried you through the wilderness. Look at the ways I gave you food and water when you had none, right? Like that's the God who has done Uh, above and beyond anything we could ask or think to give to us. And then he's going to give us his laws and say, trust me, trust me. If I'm asking you to do these things, if I'm commanding you to do these things, they're for your good because I've shown myself to be for your good. And Jesus reiterates this in Matthew chapter six, that oftentimes we're tempted towards anxiousness, right? We're tempted towards worry We're tempted to question whether God's at work. Is he doing anything good? Um, And Jesus reminds us that, hey, he takes care of the birds. He takes care of the lilies. He takes care of the the grass. Like he provides for his lesser creation. He most certainly will provide for his greater creation, right? Um, We're we're certainly more important than the birds. We're, We're built to live longer than the flowers and the grass. So if God's good to those aspects of creation, how much more is he good to us? Because we're different. We're set apart. We're we're a better part of his creation, right? And so he is certainly sold out to investing in our good as he plays out his plans before us. All right, so then the last two weeks, we've looked at the Ten Commandments, and we broke them up into two groups, just like Jesus does, right? So Jesus is pressed in the New Testament. Hey, what are the greatest commands? Again, coming from that legalistic mindset, give me something to work with, Jesus. Give me the most important ones so I can focus on those and then feel pretty good at the end of the day if I've kept those. Now, As we saw the last two weeks, if you're really honest with yourself working through the Ten Commandments, you don't really get to check any of them off and say, I've done that, or I haven't done that, right? We look at those and we say, fail, 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 fail. We don't keep any of these commands the way that they're intended to be kept. But people like us came to Jesus and said, give us the best ones, give us the most important ones so we can really focus in on those. And what does Jesus say? Well, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, which really captures the idea of these two sections of the Ten Commandments. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You can't bow down to them or serve them. Why? Because God is a jealous God. Verse 7, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. What does that mean for us as Christians? Well, we believe that the idols of this world and their fleeting pleasures aren't worthy to be compared to the glories promised for following the resurrected Jesus. So if we're Christians, we leave our idols behind with a desire to be fully devoted to him. 
right? These four commands focus on prioritizing God rightly. Uh, Nothing can be more important than him. Our life is to be completely built around him, right? Where we choose to, to go to college, where we choose to work, who we choose to pursue or be pursued by in a relationship. Those are all things that are shaped by what does God say I should be doing in these areas? Or how do I use these different areas to bring glory to him? right? Not just how do I find the most pleasure or the most satisfaction in this world. How do I use my college choice, my major choice, my, my occupational choice, my, my family choices? How do I use those to serve him, right? He's the most important thing in our life. We worship him rightly, right? We, we don't make idols. Now, I told you, like, none of you are going home today probably tempted to, to go out in the backyard and find some scrap stuff and put it together and say, this is my God, right? But what's the heart behind it? The idea that we create God in our mind because my God does this and doesn't do this, and he's okay with this, but he's not okay with this. And we make up God in our mind, and we make him manageable by us, right? Like we're in charge of that God. We're defining him. We're making him do things that we want him to do. And that's where we're guilty of of making idols, right? We worship him the way that he says to worship him. We think about him the ways that he says to think about him. And then we reflect him rightly, right? Like this idea of taking his name in vain can, can really mean a, a whole host of things. But the idea is that we don't associate God's name, Jesus's name with our frustrations, with our flippancy or our falsehood, right? Like we don't, we don't attach Jesus to uh, oaths or swears to things that we never intend to carry out. We don't flippantly use Jesus's name in our jokes and in our humor in a way that's irreverent. And we certainly don't throw his name around as a voice of frustration. All that does to the hearer of those that hear those words is it downplays the glory of God. And we're to hold his name in high respect. We, we tied it to the idea of branding, right? Companies want their brands protected, right? They don't want you just using their logos or, or their sayings any way you want. There's branding guidelines. If you want to use this logo, it has to be in this format with these colors because it reflects on our company. If we're using Jesus's name, we need to reflect well on who he is based on what the word tells us about him. And then lastly, remembering him rightly, um, that we need time set aside in our week where we don't just do the common activities that we do every other day, that we fashion our week for his purposes particularly setting aside time, setting aside time to intentionally focus on him and to worship him. Application, have you left your idols behind for the joy of following Christ alone? The New Testament, 1 Thessalonians 1, talks about if you're a Christian, you've left idols. You've you've turned from your idols to the living God. And then our last sermon last week, the second greatest commands, those that are packaged around the idea of loving our neighbor well, Christians understand the rules of God reveal how sinful we truly are and thus serve as a means of protection when followed by protecting us from ourselves, protecting us from others, and protecting others from ourselves, right? Like we want to see God's rules as good, his commands as good, they're not burdensome, and they protect us. They protect us from our own sinful tendencies. They protect uh, us from others and their sinful tendencies, and they protect others from us right? By, by, by seeing these, these laws and these commands and these instructions from God, as we choose to submit ourselves to them with the power of the Holy Spirit living in through us, we give ourselves over to this type of holy living, and it's the best society possible where people are protected from our sinful tendencies. 
We talked about these 10 commands, or these last six commands from the positive sense, right? Uh, to, to be known for obedience, uh, to, to, to learn submission to the first authority in our life. As a kid, the first authority you answer to are your parents. And it starts there. Like if we can teach and, and, and learn obedience to our parents, then we're set up for life as we learn to be obedient to our bosses, as we learn to be obedient to our government, right? So we want to be known for obedience as Christians because we're certainly told to be obedient to our bosses and our government in the New Testament as well. To be known for gentleness, right? We shall not murder means that we control our emotions when treated wrongly. When situations situations fail to meet our expectations, we don't lash out emotionally with anger that could eventually lead to murder. We're known for purity, right? We're known for purity that thou shalt not commit adultery, meaning that we, we, um, we embrace the relationship status given to us at any time with the appropriate expression. Whether you're single today or married, there are appropriate ways for you to express that relationship status. And there's inappropriate ways to do it as well. That we know what God's word has to say about it, and we follow it, we submit to it. We're known for purity. We're known for hard work, right? We don't steal. Why? Because we connect that if we need something or want something, we work hard for it. Honest work, right? And we don't just work for ourselves. The New Testament says that we even go further. It's not just about not stealing because we want something. We work hard so that we can help provide for other people. New Testament Christians are generous with what they have. We don't take from others because then we're taking from God's provision to other people, right? It's an attack against God if I take something from you that's not mine. God gave it to you. Instead, I work hard. God responds to my hard work, and then I'm able to give to others generously. Be known for hard work. Be known for truth. We don't bear false witness. We don't uh, express lies, slander, gossip. It's really tied towards how we are truthful about how we talk about other people, right? This idea was a legal witness and that people were tempted to share false statements about others to get them in trouble, to to get them held accountable for things that maybe they didn't do. And we're to be known for truth. We're to be known for contentment. We don't covet. We learn to accept whatever life God has given us with the blessings and the challenges that he's entrusted to us. We don't covet. And and I told you that coveting seems like, like maybe the the lesser of all the commands. Like, why would, why would he finish with this one? Well, I think it books it, bookends it, right? We talked about how no other gods and coveting are really tied together because if I'm coveting, I'm dissatisfied with God. I don't like what God's given me. I think he should have given me something else. And so really I'm saying I want a different God, right? We don't covet. We're known for contentment. And the application last week was both hope and faith, right? Our hope is that Jesus has done all these things that we can't do. He's, 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 he's always been truthful. He's always, be con- he's always been content. Even when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, right? What does he say? Not my will, but thine be done, right? He's content with the lot that God's given to him. He's known for hard work. He's known for purity. He's known for gentleness. He's known for his obedience. He does everything that his father tells him to do. Our hope is that Jesus has kept this law for us. He's taken our punishment for us. And he saved us from condemnation. The faith piece is that we respond by saying, you know what? These things are not burdensome. First John 5, 3 tells us they're here to protect me and to protect others. And so I want to be obedient to these things that I'm called to. Let's stop there and, and give you a chance to provide 
some feedback as well. What are some, before I give you my application points that I want you to take away from these sermons, any thoughts that you have that as you kind of think back over the past five weeks, things that have stood out to you that might be helpful to draw attention to for everybody this morning? Any thoughts on that? Takeaways that you have from the last five weeks? Yeah. Yeah. And parents, you, you probably know this, but I'll, I'll share it with you just in case you don't know. Kids, you may not even know that you know this, but I can tell you as a principal, I've noticed a, a drastic increase in language issues, particularly with, with the Lord's name, and it coincides with the increase in social media exposure for our kids, right? And I'm just going to tell you, it's different because you could have grown up as, as we did as kids and watched movies and TV shows and heard it listed, you know, repetitively, and maybe it never translated to your interaction, right? Like, like I've heard stuff in movies. I've never really struggled with those words, particularly coming out in my, in my voice. Uh, but I tell you, I think our kids struggle far greater when they're on like YouTube or TikTok or Snapchat or whatever, and they see people their age, right? their peers throwing it around. This isn't some Hollywood actor saying it. This is, this is a middle schooler in town that I know who's just blasting it. And I think it empowers our kids to think, hey, that's okay. So I would caution you to be careful that um, in ways that we've tried to protect people from movies and TV and content there, we have to overly apply that, I think, to what our kids are exposed to with their peers, because I think it gives a greater license to think I can do that too. It's not a big deal. Like it, it just, it resonates differently. Um, and, and so I'd, I'd caution you to be careful of, of, of that as a parent and as you're kind of navigating the whole social media age uh, with your kids. Those of you that have got kids that are older now and are starting to, to be exposed to that. Other thoughts, takeaways from what we've been looking at? Let me give you uh, a few points of application, things to remember and things to do. And then we'll take some questions if you have anything that's still you're kind of wrestling with that maybe didn't make sense from the past five weeks as well. Three things to remember from these five sermons. Number one, the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament is not God, not man, not salvation. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. Like, don't forget that. Um, you, you may not be here at Sovereign Hope for the rest of your life, and you may uh, relocate. You may end up at a different church at some point or time. Let me encourage you to always find a place that values the Old Testament and sees the, uh, the importance of the Old Testament. The Old Testament is not uh, the old God or old man or the old way of salvation. Uh, those things haven't changed. We've talked about the fact people never were saved by their good works. And that's a misnomer about the Old Testament too. Nobody got saved by keeping the law. If you could, then Jesus wasn't needed, right? Um, Jesus is absolutely needed, and that's the difference in the New Testament that Jesus comes, and that's why we don't do things the same way in the New Testament, not because God changed, it's because Jesus showed up and, and changed things when he stepped foot on this earth physically like this, right? Number two, the Old Testament law doesn't show me what to do to be saved. It shows me what I've done that necessitates me being saved, right? It doesn't show me how to be saved by good works. We're not like every other religion. We don't give you a list of 10 things to do, and if you do those, you're good with God. That's the message of the other religions that are out there, Right? The gospel is different. The gospel says, here is who God is, and here are his standards of holiness, and you do not meet them. And there's a problem, and you need to understand the problem. And that's the first step in being saved, 
right, is to see the problem. And so the Old Testament law doesn't show me what to do to be saved. It shows me what I've done that necessitates me being saved. And then number three, the New Testament calls me to the same way of life as the Old Testament, which involves making daily choices that reflect a love for God and a love for others, right? The New Testament calls me to the same way of life as the Old Testament. Now, are there differences in how that gets fleshed out? Sure, right? Like we've said, we don't do sacrifices in the New Testament. They did in the Old Testament. Why? Because Jesus hadn't come, right? They, they worshiped differently as a nation, whereas we're a people of God that, that are spread out over all the nations of the earth, right? So things certainly get fleshed out differently in the New Testament. But when you look back and say, what were the people in the Old Testament supposed to do? Well, I think Jesus would say they were supposed to love God and love others. And that's exactly what he tells us to do in the New Testament. So the New Testament calls me to the same way of life as the Old Testament, which means we don't unhitch and throw away the Old Testament thinking, hey, this has no relevancy for me. Instead, we see in the New Testament, man, the New Testament is a lot like the Old Testament and what it calls us to be as Christians, calls us to truth, calls us to purity, calls us to hard work, calls us to holy living, right? Remember these things as you think back on this section of our time together. What do we do? These coincide with what we remember. Number one, Refuse to listen to any train of thought that downplays the importance of the Old Testament, since the Old Testament is the key to fully understanding Jesus. Now, can you get the message of Jesus without the Old Testament? Yeah, sure. Like, you don't necessarily have to know the Old Testament to to understand Jesus. But I think you do to understand him fully. Let me give you an example. I've got like this Google device in our bedroom. I, I can't even tell you exactly what it's called. Um, I know it helps with the Wi-Fi in our bedroom, and it also plays rain noise when I go to bed at night, right? That's the only two ways I use it, right? My understanding is that thing will do a whole lot more to make my life easier. I think I can make it turn my lights on and off. I think I can make it do a whole host of things. I don't have the instruction manual anymore. I have no idea how to use it beyond rain noise, and it amps my Wi-Fi in my bedroom, right? That would be like our understanding of Jesus in the New Testament. Can we get a good understanding of Jesus to be saved? Sure. But what the Old Testament is like, it's like an instruction manual that helps us to fully appreciate Jesus, right? Like it it points us to him. Everything in the Old Testament is a shadow of him. It helps us to know why is he so important, right? The whole Bible is the story of Jesus. If you take out a good chunk of it and say, we don't need this part anymore, man, you're missing a giant part of how to understand Jesus, right? So, so refuse to listen to anybody that would tell you, hey, we don't need the Old Testament. It's not that big of a deal anymore. Man, it tells you how to fully understand Jesus in the, in the ways that we can as a human, right? It helps us to fully appreciate who he is and why we worship him. Number two, don't look to the law and ask, have I done enough? Look to the person and work of Jesus and ask, what can I do for him next? That the commands of God are meant to be how we love and serve him, right? This is how we do it. So it's not like, I, as Bob was saying, like we don't go to it and say like, all right, this, 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 I've done these pretty good. Eh, I still need to work on this, but like overall, I'm doing pretty good. Like we don't go to the law as a checklist to say, man, I'm good or I've done enough. No, we go to the, the law, the, the, the law of Christ is how we kind of understand it in the New Testament, which reflects the law of the Old Testament. The law of Christ is to understand what do I do for him next? And we'll never be done. Just like you would never be done uh, showing love to your spouse, or showing love. None of us approach it and say, 
have I done enough to show love to my kids to where I can be done now? Right? Like most of us as parents say, man, I can't wait till the next birthday. Like I've already got a list of things that I want to give to them. Or I can't wait till Christmas. I got all these ideas of how I want to, to show my love to my child. Or I can't wait for this event because I love doing this with my son or daughter. Like most of us, it's like, what do I get to do next to show my love to this relationship? That's what the commands are for us. That there are ways that we get to show Jesus next, tomorrow. This is how I love you. This is how I trust you. Number three, take your holy living seriously because if left unchecked, you're, you present as a danger to both yourself and those around you. And it's not just a suggestion to take this and, and to go and live by it. If you leave your holy living unchecked, if it's just not a big deal, like I'm gonna do what I want, I'm gonna take you know, each day a day at a time and just kind of see how it turns out. Like if you're not intentional to put yourself around good Christian fellowship to hold you accountable, if you're not intentional to be in God's word, to be praying and to be repenting of sin and to be uh, yielding to the conviction of the Holy Spirit, you just leave that unchecked, I mean, you're a danger to society. You are. Like if left unchecked, your sinful tendencies will hurt other people. They'll wreck yourself in your own life, but then it'll, it'll spill out into the lives of others. Let me encourage you, like, don't let your holy living go unchecked. If you do, you become a danger to people around you. Take it seriously. Take it seriously. Questions that you may still have from our sermons over the past several weeks that I can help answer. Anything that you're like, I'm still kind of unsure about how this plays out for us, or you said this a couple weeks ago and I wasn't sure what that meant. Anything like that. This is the first time we've done this, so um, I don't think that I've answered all your questions, but I did put you on the spot today. Just know, going forward, I want to adapt this into our normal rhythm for Application Sunday, where there is a time for you to share some feedback about what God's been doing for you and for you to ask questions. Dave? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think that idea of coveting is idolatry is what the New Testament says, so any any violation of of what God's called us to is a level of discontentment with him. It's a lack of trust in him. And so certainly you can use that question to kind of probe yourself as you're evaluating choices and decisions you're making on a daily and weekly basis. Is there a level of discontentment that I'm expressing, you know, by being involved in this? Not, not a discontentment with people around me, but a discontentment with God ultimately. Right. We'll, we'll always be discontent with people around us. They're never going to measure up to what we want them to be, but they've been placed in our life for, for whatever reasons God has chosen to place us there, right? So you'll be discontent with your spouse, but to be discontent with your spouse in such a way where you sin against them is to be discontent with God, right? And so, yeah, I think discontentment is a form of idolatry, which is the root cause of, of all this disobedience that we see. All right, I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to transition to partaking of the Lord's Supper. Uh, Marcus is going to come and lead us in that time, and then we'll sing together as we close out today. Lord, we love you. We praise you, and we thank you uh, for what you've been teaching us over the past five weeks. We thank you for uh, your goodness in sending Jesus, um, because, Lord, if without Jesus, uh, there's not as much hope in in what we're looking at here in the Old Testament with a, a holy God and a thunderous mountain and a law that uh, is just not keepable. Um, But Lord, you sent Jesus. You sent Jesus to be the better mediator. You sent Jesus to keep the law for us and to die in our place because the law says when when the law has been broken, restitution has to be made. And Lord, you sent Jesus to make the restitution. He paid the price. 
but he didn't just pay the price. He, he, he paid the punishment, um, and, and, he, and he served in our place and absorbed your wrath and, and saved us from condemnation. And so, God, we thank you for that. Uh, Lord, help us to rejoice over that today. Um, Lord, I pray that you would wreck our pride because our pride wants to be able to say we did it and we, and we kept it. Um, but Lord, help us to be content and humble enough to say we didn't and we need you. And God, by partaking of the Lord's Supper now, we are saying that we need you. Um, we're, we're, we're saying thank you that you helped us to realize that we needed you. But because by partaking of the Lord's Supper, we are saying yes to Jesus. It's a reflection of what we've already done. And so, God, we thank you for Jesus. Lord, help us to, to live in light of the freedom that comes from being set free from the law, that it's not hanging over us anymore, that we can rest and hope and know that the resurrected Jesus has saved us from the wrath to come. Lord, help us to now see your instructions and your laws and your commands as a way to show our love to you. Lord, help us to love you on a much deeper way than we love our kids and our spouses and our friends. Lord, help us to love you in such a way where we want to give ourselves fully and wholly to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Sovereign Hope Church podcast. We trust that you've been encouraged by the word. For more information about our church, please visit our website at www.sovhope.org. Again, that's www.sovhope.org.